through faith in Christ. So this continued for several months, this recognition of his sin and, and, and not knowing what to do with it. But then his spiritual distress continued until Easter of that year, when on Easter Sunday, after wrestling and wrestling, uh, he writes, I awoke early with these words on my heart and lips. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that same day, he approaches the Lord's table with newfound confidence and peace in his heart. He wrote that he had the, quote, sweetest access to God through my blessed Savior. Incredible. Incredible to see his conversion. As a man who loved to consider God's guiding hand in all things, which we call providence, Charles Simeon often thought fondly of the requirement that he must attend the Lord's Supper in chapel. What for many was just another empty duty of religious exercise was for Charles Simeon the very way that God drew him to himself. Thinking about evidences of grace and new life, when, when you are converted, when you are changed, uh, when you're brought from the, king, uh, the, the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, there is a conviction of sin and there's <clears throat> evidences of grace um, Simeon, he didn't write too much on this, but was clear to review his past life with sorrow, with shame. He, he, he wrote that he felt as if his sins were more in number than the hairs of his head and the grains of sand on the beach, if he could number all of his sins. And if you think about the, the lifestyle that he had beforehand, you can imagine um, just how seriously he felt that was. But he grew to realize the abundance of God's grace to such a sinful prodigal son such as he. He later reflected on various events that was the hand of God preparing him for salvation. Certain sermons, days of required fasting at Eton College, for example. And, and yet as he, as he grows in grace, as he is this new creation and the, the old is being put behind and the new is being walked and realized, uh, it was difficult for him to shake the outward religious duty. It was just, it was ingrained into him. He felt it was his duty to be visibly religious. And, uh, and others would comment, people who would have known him said, that it was pretty obvious how he tried to put on a show. Um, how obvious he tried to make his religion. Again, the book, The Whole Duty of Man, was instrumental in him re realizing his sin, but it wasn't necessarily helpful in his sanctification. Although, he did have quite a few changes, uh, noticeable changes. Uh, his changed view of money, for example. He used to love spending money on clothes and horses. Loved it. And later, he had a difficult time justifying keeping a horse when he could sell the horse and use that money for ministry. Bit of a change. He, <clears throat> he then grew an, an appetite for Christian books. He would read books. He'd be reading sermons. And he would be quick to act upon practical suggestions for spiritual growth. Kept a diary, kept a journal, and he would record as thoughts would come into his mind. And, and uh, he would make it a, a daily habit. Uh, not insisting necessarily that everyone must make it a daily habit, but he, he writes this. <coughs> Just the benefit of occasionally to commit to writing a few observations on the state of your mind, your progress or decline in religion, which the oftener they are repeated, the greater advantage you will receive. So I don't know if you keep a journal or a diary or even just some way of sort of tracking uh, how am I progressing in the Christian faith? How am I growing in Christ-likeness? This year, 
as opposed to last year, as opposed to five years ago? How am I growing or how am I declining and, and how might I need the Lord's grace to, to then grow in the years to come? So interesting to learn that from him. <clears throat> Charles Simeon also had a growing spiritual concern for others. And this is something that all Christians really ought to have to, to some degree, that we love the gospel, we know how much it, uh, it glorifies God, how good it is for us, and we know that other people need it just as much as we, and that God is to be glorified in others responding to his gift of salvation. So in this, Charles, Wakened had, uh, Charles Simeon had awakened in him a strong desire to make his life centered around the proclamation of the gospel as a Christian minister. So now he's, he's sensing this calling to the ministry, this desire to be an elder and a, a gospel preacher. And yet, as he goes into the ministry, it was not easy. For anyone who is familiar with Charles Simeon, when he began his ministry at Holy Trinity Church, they didn't like him. They didn't welcome him warmly. The congregation actually had their hopes on another guy. They had their hopes on this other man, but the bishop appointed Charles Simeon rather than the other man. So the congregation rejected him in almost every way imaginable. I, I, I just can't, I can't picture this, but... Uh, None of them would allow him into their homes for pastoral visitation. They just wouldn't let him in. We're not interested. Uh, many would not even come to the church services. And in, in those days, in some of those churches, you could actually lock your pew. You had a key. You actually paid to have access to a pew. So it's a whole cultural thing. They would lock it and not attend so that no one else could sit there. On one occasion, when the congregation did gather... It was revealed that a church warden had locked the main doors of the church and had walked away with the key. Simeon had to go and hire a locksmith to open the door <laughs> and then just pray and wonder, what, what am I going to do with this situation? Charles Simeon was learning a valuable lesson early on, a lesson on trusting God in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pastoral burden and uh, a hard ministry. The burden of ministry anxiety would have crushed him had he not found encouragement in God's word. 2 Timothy 2.24, the servant of the Lord must not strive. Simeon later said this subdued his worries as he learned to not fret in the face of adversity, but to trust God to bring about any and every result to a situation he deemed right in his perfect wisdom. So, his trials increased his trust in the Lord. And, and haven't we found that to be our experience too? When the Lord brings trials into our lives, it, it actually causes us to kiss the wave, uh, uh, the wave that causes us to kiss. How's that Spurgeon quote go? The, who knows it? I've learned to kiss the wave that crashes me into the rock of ages. Yeah. And the Lord grows us in faith and grace as we are even... Um, hit by trials in our, our lives. Eventually, though, after 12, 12 years, 12 years of this difficult ministry, patiently praying and trusting God, there was a very fruitful ministry. So many pastors burn out at the slightest breeze of difficulty, but Charles Simeon stayed the course, trusted God, 
and God brought about the fruit in his ministry. By the end of his ministry, the church was better attended than it had ever been before. And Charles Simeon never went to another church. Holy Trinity, he began and ended his pastoral career. Never left, serving the same congregation. I like this little anecdote about Spurgeon, uh, not Spurgeon, it's Charles Simeon. There were um, some friends of Charles who had sisters who were mocking Charles Simeon. They were mocking him because he was a little rough around the edges and he had some quirks. He had some mannerisms in his ministry and so they'd tease him. So his friend then instructed the sisters to go outside and pick a peach off the tree and bring it inside the house for him. So they went outside to find one but they saw that it was early summer, not yet ready for peaches to be enjoyed. So when they returned with the news, this friend responded that the peach tree only needed a little more rain and a little more sunshine. The same with Mr. Simeon. A little more rain, a little more sunshine. Later in ministry, after 25 years, Charles Simeon's health failed suddenly. His voice gave way so that preaching was very difficult and at times could only speak in a whisper. After a sermon, he felt that he often, uh, he said that he often felt in his words, more like one dead than alive. <laughs> this broken condition lasted for 13 years until he was 60 years old. So just to think about the suffering that he experienced, not only the 12 years of hardship, his, his congregation functionally rejecting him and making a very hard um, then a period of fruitfulness, and then 13 years of very difficult speaking and preaching that was very laborsome for him, exhausting and depleting. In all of this, Simeon pressed on in his work, trusting God to provide all that was needed. And this way of weakness came to an end. The Lord stopped that struggle in his life in 1819. He had promised himself an active life up until the age of 60. Then maybe some form of retirement at that age. Until one evening he seemed to hear his master saying, and these are his words, I laid you aside because you entertained with satisfaction the thought of resting from your labor. But now you have arrived at the very period when you had promised yourself that satisfaction and have determined instead to spend your strength for me. To the latest hour of your life, I have doubled, trebled, quadrupled your strength that you may execute your desire on a more extended plan. So at 60 years of age, Simeon renewed his commitment to the pulpit and the mission of the church and preached vigorously, vigorously for 17 more years. Perseverance in trials Charles Simeon knew trials to be God's hand of providence, enduring hardship and ministry good for his soul and others. There were these heavy and light trials. There's a, there's a story that um, he would go around to preach in other churches, in, in other villages, in other communities. So there's this one time he went to a church and he was just not received well at all. As he preached, the church, was, they, were, they were dead, dead as a doornail. Uh, doorknob. <laughs> uh, and they just, they didn't respond to his ministry. It was a very hard preach. Okay, so then uh, he's just going to go back home. 
apparently for some reason, I don't know if it was to do with the weather, but he couldn't travel that night. So he actually had to stay overnight and then he'd head back home the following day. So of course, he's now just visiting with the pastor of that congregation, who at the time was unconverted. So you see just even uh, why, uh, maybe a, a reason for the deadness of the ministry uh, in the church and the congregation is because their pastor himself wasn't converted. And so as Charles Simeon is speaking with him, it leads to his pa that pastor's conversion. He is saved and brought to trusting faith in Christ. And then Charles Simeon moves on, so you could only imagine what, the, what sort of fruitfulness in that church then would take place as a result of that one evening's conversation. Maybe you can remember a moment when God's hand kept you from something. Charles Simeon, he wanted to go back home after a really hard day of preaching. But the Lord kept him there. And there is a reason he was kept there. There is a reason why he was delayed. And that's an encouragement for us when we are delayed in many ways. Sometimes God doesn't remove our trials, but he does supply grace in the midst of our trials. And he is always doing something. We might not know why he's doing something in our life, but he always has a purpose for it. Charles Simeon and his preaching. There's a need for faithfulness in the pulpit for the sake of his people and God's glory. So Simeon had three test questions about any sermon. One, does it humble the sinner? Two, does it exalt the Savior? And three, does it promote holiness? Simplicity is key, Simeon believed. Don't overcomplicate what is simple and precious. He, uh, he loved these skeletons, and this is a good advice for any up-and-coming preacher or anyone who had aspired to, to teach the Bible is to come up with skeletons. Uh, you would, uh, what, what he would say is you, you would sit in your study, maybe you'd have a cup of tea, and you'd look at a passage and you'd think, how could I outline this in three points, the main point of the sermon, or the main point of this passage of scripture? In three points, how do I get across the main point of the passage? So then even he would publish this massive published work of his sermons and skeletons and outlines. There's a, a huge book you could get of all of his outlines. And a lot of people criticized him. Well, you're, you know, it's cheating. It's cheating for the preacher to have all this legwork done for him. And he would say, well, you know, it's just the outline. It's just the skeleton. You still need a lot of flesh and muscle put onto, onto this. And that's the preacher's job. So he wasn't trying to promote laziness, but he was trying to promote growth in preachers, helping them even just get to the main point of the passage and then let them take it from there. Charles Simeon had a principle of balance that biblical texts don't conflict with each other. He would say, don't lose the sting of one text by saying that another text is saying something else. The classic example that we know is Paul would say that justification is by faith alone. And then James would say, faith never acts alone. It is always accompanied by works. So there, you know, people, the Bible college debate is, you know, James and Paul disagreed with each other. So therefore, we should not take seriously, but whatever, 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 whatever dismantling our, our, um, our trust in the scriptures. But actually, they complement each other. And so to, to have that balance in reading the Bible, he enjoyed all texts equally. And this was commended by some, criticized by others. Doctrine differences divide, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly. 
you should have division when there is disagreement on crucial doctrines, primary doctrines like the, the deity of Christ, uh, original sin. When you start to disagree, you're not on the same page. You've got to just part ways. But it would be wrong to divide over issues that are uh, a little less significant, a little less clear. Maybe your view of the millennium, maybe your view of the gifts are, are a little less primary. They're more secondary, tertiary, maybe. And you can have rich fellowship. You might even be able to have a measure of partnership, uh, even though you disagree in those things. Charles Simeon actively sought unity with those who disagreed doctrinally. He would promote moderation and slowness of speech in conversation with those he would disagree with. Instead of getting riled up in debate, maybe some of you know what that experience is, uh, riled up, he would try to show how unified the gathering was in its belief in the accomplished work of Christ, and then in that light would critically assess everything that's discussed. Uh, an example in recent years, the conference is now over, but T4G is Together for the Gospel. That's, I think that's a really great example of this, is you'd have these four guys, that there's a, a Baptist, a Southern Baptist, Presbyterian, and a Reformed Charismatic who came together to form this conference, that we are together for the Gospel. They have lots of disagreements on a lot of important things, but the Gospel, they're together on, and then they could have a lot of rich fellowship as a result of that. So to put aside secondary differences to promote the primary message of the faith. Some notable accomplishments, Charles Simeon, uh, and we actually just bore um, some, uh, we just received some of the fruit of that because we had the Charles Simeon course that came not too long ago, Simeon Trust. Um, the money he made on published sermons was mostly put aside to help build other churches and opportunities for the gospel to spread. And so there are these preaching, teaching courses and, and seminars, workshops that are available today. We just had one last month where you can learn to read the Bible and to rightly divide it and how to, you know, what's, what's the saying they have? To get it right and to get it across. We're just huge on simple um, tools for preaching well. And this is, uh, th they have courses for men in the ministry. They also have courses for women who want to teach the Bible. I just really commend that ministry to you. Ah, so some strengths and weaknesses. We, we always, let, let's hear the dirt. Let's hear the, the, the real life, the real flesh on flesh. You can sometimes in a biography have this, this totally glossed over uh, perfect image of a man or woman. But Charles Simeon, as a believer, even being sanctified and growing in Christlikeness, has strengths and weaknesses, don't we all? Uh, here's a few weaknesses. Uh, he had, he was an angry man. He, was, he really struggled with anger. Once he blew up on a servant who put the wrong bridle on his horse. Later he sent an apology letter signed C-H-A-S, proud and irritable. Also, he struggled with personal vanity, pride. He considered himself higher than he ought to have. He foolishly thought at times that his congregation would suffer in his absence, that they needed him. He was a, a, little, uh, he was a little particular. He had this over-attention to detail. Everything had to be neat and ordered, which is fine. I think we need people like that in the kingdom. But I think he was on a different level. 
August 1831, he contacted a lawyer to discuss an issue with his bookkeeping. Though he was very diligent in a double entry system to account for his money, one pence was missing. A penny. It wasn't balanced. This greatly annoyed Charles, and after many days of searching for where that one pence went account, unaccounted for, he hired an accountant and said, find that penny, make the books balance, and I will give you 20 pounds, which in today's Canadian currency is $2,400. Find that penny, it has to be balanced. Another weakness is he had hasty judgment. Sometimes he was right, sometimes he missed the mark. He would quickly let that pen fly and make an opinion in writing without much thought. He needed to restrain quick judgments without all the facts. So th those are some weaknesses. Um, some strengths of his is that he was open to correction. He was willing to hear if he needed to change his ways. He had this desire for Christ-likeness. He walked in that. He loved it. He had this pastoral care. There was a generosity, a social concern. He was a little eccentric, yet an attractive personality. He knew the secret of spiritual strength, being a focus on the Lord Jesus. He didn't deny the necessity of inward examination, but greater, <clears throat> greater priority was to fix his eyes on the Savior. His daily Bible reading was the guide for his life, but also exercise of pastoral responsibility. It's interesting, if you were to go through some of his preaching, you would find a constant theme of human weakness. He had this dependence on God. Interesting, there's not a lot written on this next topic, but Charles Simeon was unmarried. He was single for his whole life, his whole life in ministry. The only thing we know is that it was a deliberate choice he made for the sake of more fruitful ministry in Cambridge. Singleness, however it's come about in your life, is an opportunity. To be single means that you can have more energy, you can have more time, you can be more fully devoted to the work of the Lord in ways that married people can't. And when you know that earthly marriage is a picture of our heavenly wedding to Christ, you realize that you aren't lacking in love. You already possess the sweetest, highest degree of love, active love from God through Christ. So if you're single this morning, take advantage of the time and resources you have available. Don't waste your singleness. Be like Simeon who channeled all his energy and devotion into serving Christ where he was. I was just sort of uh, getting close to the conclusion. We see Simeon at the end of his life. Charles Simeon, he, he began to grow more and more weak. Uh, there was this uh, obvious failing voice uh, at, at times, and, and yet the Lord did give him uh, increased vigor um, for the last thrust of his ministry, and yet there was this pain, this fever, this rheumatic attack. This, uh, his body was shutting down. He was uh, having this increasing readiness to leave this world and this life. And there's a few bedside stories. For about three weeks, he was laid up in bed, People would come and visit him, and of course, he had a certain notoriety. People knew of him. He was this esteemed preacher, Charles Simeon. So, so there's these examples of conversations where people would uh, come, and here's one. Someone would ask him, what are you thinking? 
And his immediate reply is, I'm not thinking, I'm enjoying. He's enjoying the presence of the Lord. He was, he was not introspective, but rather he had his eyes fixed on where he was going. He knew his destination. He knew his eternity was secure. So even as his outer self was wasting away, his inner self was being renewed day by day, even in his final days. When asked if he felt the presence of the Lord Jesus giving him peace, his reply was, Oh yes, that I do. He would say, When I look to him, I see nothing but faithfulness and immutability and truth. And I have not a doubt nor a fear, but the sweetest peace. I cannot have more peace. Charles Simeon died November 13th, 1836 in Cambridge at the age of 77 years old. So just to reflect on his life from beginning to end, and now we know he's enjoying a far sweeter, a better life with the Lord now. And we'll, we'll meet him one day and maybe hear some more stories. His dedication to Christ and the care of his flock was his sole focus in all his endeavors, especially when they rejected him, especially when it was a hard ministry. He loved them to the end. Whenever he traveled, um, I didn't really mention it here, but he had a strong passion for the Jews, for the Jewish people. He, he read his Bible and saw that there was something for them, and so he had a, a particular interest in them. And yet, even when he would travel to evangelize Jewish people and, uh, and that sort of ministry, he always had his flock in the back of his mind. He never forgot about them. He never neglected their needs and his responsibilities in Cambridge. He didn't look for an easier job. He didn't look for less demanding or an easier sphere of service as he grew older, but he believed where he served was in God's good providence, Holy Trinity Church, and planned to stay unless God otherwise indicated. Maybe a modern-day example is John MacArthur. might be an example of that. Fifty-odd years in the same church. Praise God for faithful pastors. And I mean, we even have uh, our, our lead pastor, Pastor Clint, who planted the church, and he's still here. Uh, we don't know what the Lord's will is, but we are thankful for pastors who don't, two years here, two years here, two years here. They've been in ministry 25 years, but they only have two years' experience. To see pastors for the long haul commit to the good of the flock, the good of the sheep, and to minister. So just to think about what we can learn from a biography, what we can learn from Charles Simeon, you might not be an 18th century preacher, but in your life and maybe in the week ahead, how can we, like Charles Simeon, strive for faithfulness to our God? And when trials enter our life, we don't seek to escape the trials, but rather we rely more heavily on the Lord to provide the grace for those trials. Might we pursue a single-minded uh, uh, spirit like Charles Simeon had, as we think about where God has placed us. Let us make our prayer the same as his, and this is what he said. I'll just end off uh, with his words. His prayer should be our own, and he prayed, May God enable me to devote myself to him more unreservedly than ever. Well, that's, that's it for the biography. Why don't we pray, and then we'll have a few extra minutes to fellowship with each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this choice servant of yours, this servant that you called to the ministry, you equipped 
and how you uh, preserved him through many a hard day. Lord, we come this morning with many struggles and many trials of our own, and we too wish to persevere. We wish to follow Christ and to make him known in whatever, whatever sphere you have us in. Help us, Lord, to learn from Charles Simeon that we can rely on your strong arm and not on, on our own weak human flesh, but to even be carried by your spirit. Help us, Lord, we, we pray with thanks for this biography in Jesus' name. Amen.